gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel, Rachel Miller. And we're going to be continuing kind of our series on abuse, even though it hasn't been week after week, we've had some things in between. It is something that we've focused on, I would say the last year. And because we've talked about that, I wanted to mention something. Some of you may have seen the new podcast by Christianity Today, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And I just want to highly recommend it. They've done an excellent job I, the reason I want to recommend it is a lot of the things that we have talked about, that is a practical uh, example of, of how that plays out in practice. And I think that Mars Hill is an extreme example and a far more public example, but Rachel and I have heard so many abuse stories. And one of the things we'll say to each other, same playbook. And even we're going to be talking today about the tactics used. And so it's just a really, really great example. And to add to that, and I'm going to put both of these in the episode notes, Julie Roy's uh, recently did uh, two episodes on Mark, what's going on at Mark Driscoll's current church. And it may have even been a little more disturbing than the rise and fall of Mars Hill. It's, um, it, it's worth listening to because, what, as I said, we're going to talk about the tactics today. And this gives you real-life examples of how those tactics are used and played out. So we're going to talk today about Wade Mullen's book, Something's Not Right. I, I love the title. And I think like when we had the Frenches on, Rachel, you know, mm -hmm. you kind of get the idea that they got to the point where they thought something's not right. Such a great way, because if you talk to people that have been in spiritually abusive churches, they don't recognize it at first. That's kind of the way it's meant to be. It's um, clothed in something else. And 
sometimes you'll you'll hear a couple, for instance, uh, I've talked to couples that were in spiritually abusive churches, and one of them will think, hmm, that doesn't doesn't seem right. In fact, I just heard a story. I heard a man, his um, his family was in a spiritual abusive church when he was young. So, this is years ago, but the tactics are so much the same. And mm-hmm. he's, uh, somebody asked him, well, how did your parents get out of that situation? And he told the story that both of his parents felt like something wasn't right, but they're afraid to say it out loud. Because mm-hmm. of the level of control, they didn't want to be um, painted as the bad person, which often in these abusive spiritual, spiritually abusive situations, it's set up that if you question the leadership, then you're kind of blacklisted. Your yep. um, gaslighting happens and things like that. So, well, you know, it, it's interesting what you're saying. Uh, it, I don't think it's just in, you know, in spiritually abusive churches, which you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it is these same tactics that you'll see. Uh, in Mars Hill and other churches, like with what the French has talked about, but the same things, the same feeling of something's not right, but I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't have the words for it can happen in abusive marriages. It can happen in abusive uh, friendships or relationships or in toxic work environments. And you know that's why I think it's so important that uh, books like Wade Mullins, uh, Something's Not Right, are there as resources for us that we can read this and go, that's what's going on. This is what happened. And it can be very hard to read because you begin to realize things that you've been through and it can be uh, very eye-opening in ways that are, um, are, are painful. Uh, But it's very helpful to have the words because having the words gives us uh, a way to say, this is what happened to me. This is, um, these are the things that weren't right. And this is why uh, we've left or we moved on or we need help. Uh, So, Wade Mullen's book, Something's Not Right. Wade Mullen is a researcher. He's an assistant professor. He's an author uh, and he's a speaker. From his bio uh, on the book, it says he's the director of the Master of Divinity program at Capitol Seminary and Graduate School, which is part of Lancaster Bible College in Pennsylvania. And, you know, the book's back cover says exactly the same kind of thing that I was just talking about, is that when you're feeling like something's off about a relationship or interaction, um, you feel alone, you feel confused, but you don't have a label uh, for it and you, you just don't know what to say or how to put words to it. So the book, back cover, it says that he introduces us to the groundbreaking world of impression management, the strategies that individuals and organizations utilize to gain power and cover up their wrongdoings. Mullen reveals a pattern that accompanies many types of abuse, almost as if abusers are somehow reading from the same playbook. If we can learn to decode these evil methods, we can learn the language of abuse. We can help stop the cycle and make abusers less effective at accomplishing destruction in our lives. Uh, it It goes on to say that the book will help you to identify and describe tactics that were previously unidentifiable and indescribable and give you the language you need to move toward freedom and create a safer future for yourself and others. And I think that right there really does summarize not only the book, but also what our purpose is you know, here with this series that we've done off and on this year on spiritual abuse and on abuse is that we want to help give people uh, words to understand what they've gone through and how to address it so that 
families, relationships, churches, uh, institutions would be will be safer for people. Yeah, one of the things that we may have listeners that say, well, I've just never dealt with any sort of abuse or spiritual abuse, but this is still a book that you ought to read. Even I think about a church called Tove. Uh, definitely Diane Langberg's book, I think, is a um, good companion to this one. And I think it's important to understand these tactics and know what this looks like, what that playbook looks like of abusers. Uh, to recognize it if you ever do encounter an abusive situation, but also is you have, I guarantee you have somebody in your life that's been a victim of abuse of some sort. Mm-hmm. And you may not even know it, but it's it's helpful, I think, also in being able to minister to somebody who has been in an abusive situation. Or maybe a friend of yours says, hey, this thing is going on at my church, and you know, I've never been to a church like this, because this is something I've heard before. You know, I'm newly Reformed, and I've or Calvinistic, and I've never been to Reformed or Calvinistic church. And so I just thought this is how those churches were. But is this normal? And you might be able to say, uh, no, actually, that's not, that's abuse, you know. Um, Diane Langberg actually writes a forward to this book. I'll, I'll read a little um, from her, read her forward. He brings to light the deceptions, the twisting of words, the manipulations that silence people and shift blame to those who expose abuse as if they and not the abuse were the actual threat. That is just... That that a uh, couple sentences right there, or I guess one sentence, um, just describes so well what happens. He calls things by their right names. This process often brings great grief because it entails seeing things as they are, as opposed to how we hoped they would be. So that's some powerful stuff. Her writing is always very, very powerful, and um, she just has a great way with words. And, you know, it's so true, that first part of the quote about uh, the shifting blame to those who expose abuse as if they're the problem um, and how often that happens in different situations and in all kinds of situations, uh, all kinds of abusive relationships. And um, there was a meme that I saw at one point um, addressing that's like well, it, using like Morpheus from the um, Matrix movies. Like, what if I told you? if it's the abuse that's the problem or not the pointing it out. Right. And it's, it's that same playbook. It's the same things over and over again, the number of times that you see this happen. And I think it's important for us to realize when it happens and to stop and say, why are they um, calling out the people who are speaking out about abuse instead of addressing the abuse? You know what? That's actually a theme in both both the Mars Hill podcast and then what's going on at his current church. And so to the point that if somebody says, you know, there was somebody uh, that had expressed this was at at Mars Hill, you know, maybe we need some older men to kind of, they didn't use the word disciple, but, you know, to be around and help mentor people and stuff like that. And that was seen as... um, a problem. Like, how dare you question anything that we're doing? And then that person was seen as the, as the problem, not. And so these sorts of things happen to the point um, in, in the Mark Driscoll story, especially recently where somebody who's 
point somebody who points out even the parents of some grown children pointed out were uncomfortable with things going on at this church where he would tell them you got to cut your parents out of your life because they're um going to prevent us from moving forward in being used for the Lord and stuff like that. It's so manipulative. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you said earlier about the, just trying to figure out you, you're in a church and things are going on and something's not right. I can't quite put my finger on it. And years ago, um, Matt and I had that experience and we were in a church and things were off and I, I we were talking about it. I'm like, what is it? What, what is this that's happening? Um, and Matt was the one who was like, look at it. He's going, they're not getting the gospel. We're not hearing the gospel. We're not getting the gospel. And I think now you know, he and I both would be able to put a lot more words to what, what it was, but he was able to recognize that it was that at least um, at the very least what was going on. And um, like I said, I wish we had had more, more words like this to understand. Yeah, it, it's encouraging that it's, um, that is being talked about more. I, I think that uh, we hear a lot of stories right now, but I don't think it's anything new. Um, you can talk to even older people who went through spiritually abusive situations even years ago. So one of the things I'm glad he talks about what is abuse, because I think that, it, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen that some people out there, especially people that are opposing, um, they're like, oh, you guys are talking about abuse too much. Oh, it's not really that bad out there. You know, a little bit of gaslighting on that. Uh, they, they seem to have a very specific definition of abuse, which really isn't, well, as if abuse is only physical abuse and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, or it's only if, if someone's being, not just physical abuse, but it's only if it's certain things like it has to be really bad to be abused. Right. It has to be like, you know, you would have to be something that you would like, criminally bad. Like you would have to be able to call the cops for it to be abuse. Right. That's true. That That is a good point. Um, so one, one of the things he says is when someone treats you as an object, they are willing to harm for their own benefit. Abuse has occurred and that person has become an abuser. And he also says, abuse involves any action that takes power from another in an attempt to use them. And it almost always begins with language, words that lead to confusion and captivity. That's something you really see as a theme when you hear these stories. I think you're right um, about to point out that um, about... There are a lot of people who question, like, well, what really is abuse? Like, what, is it really abuse of this? And is it really abuse about that? Um, well, we're, or we get accused in talking about abuse. Well, you just make everything abuse. Right? And, you know, I understand um, that people are afraid of an abuse of the term, right? To, to use the term that way. But there really is such a thing as abuse. And it really is important that we understand it. Um, and I, I like his, his definition here. I don't have it on me, but there's a Darby Strickland has a good definition too. So one of the things we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about is the same playbook. If you've ever talked to, I was thinking in terms of, I, you know, I know a few women that went through, 
abuse in their marriage. And it's just amazing how similar the stories are. Mm-hmm. And the stories I hear from people in churches, it's like, are they passing a book out telling them what to do? But it, there really is these patterns that you see, these same tactics. Even when we've talked to um, some victims and we've asked questions, you hear things like, um, well, we'll get into tactics more later, but you know, they in the church, you see a lot of using scripture to manipulate and, you know, some different things like that. It really is amazing how similar the stories are. And it's, it's not because people are, you know, getting together and deciding in advance how they want to describe what they've been through. It's when you talk to someone who's been through such a horrible situation and they begin to, they're finally willing to address parts of it. And they're, they're reluctantly telling you about their story and you can almost guess what they're going to say next because it's so similar to the other exa- other ones we've heard. Yeah, especially in these controlling mm-hmm. churches. You know, one of the things I, I would also point people to is we have talked in the past about like church membership. Then there's things to even look at some of these controlling behaviors and we'll get into the tactics, which will give um, red flags. But I was thinking of when we were talking about church membership and some of these covenants um, that just go beyond <laughs> what things the church should be speaking to um, in your life. Yeah. And the and, French and has talked about that when we had them on too. Yeah. We talked about it in the, an episode where we talked about the difference between membership covenants versus the vows that we take in, in reformed churches. And um, it's, there is a lot of, uh, controlling and manipulative language in, in many of those uh, covenants. So um, I'm going to read one more thing and then we'll move on to our next section. But by recognizing and putting words to abusive situations and behavior, we can speak up about what's happening and shine light in dark places. So being able to define what abuse is, being able to understand what abuse is, um, recognizing the tactics, you know, kind of seeing those red flags. We've had girls even in our group that will reach out to me and say, hey, we started going to this church and this is the membership covenant. And there'll be just all kinds of crazy stuff on there. And they'll say, is this normal? You know, and so I think taking time to understand it, you're going to be able to better recognize it uh, when it when it comes along. Oh, and I forgot to read the best antidote to deception is truth. Silence grants evil exactly what it needs to be effective. And he talks about, you know, it's scary in an abusive situation to speak the truth. And because oftentimes um, they've used other situations to manipulate and to scare you. You know, if you, if you say anything beyond the narrative that we say is okay, you'll be punished almost like that. The tactics work because it scares us. I mean, they're meant to, and they do work. Um, yeah. It brought to mind that last bit about shining light in dark places. Um, Ephesians five eleven: just do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Um, 
and for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. It's important, you know, this is a biblical um, idea of shining light in a dark place to expose abuse and expose sinful behaviors towards others. Um, I heard a a story of um, a couple that uh, they were newer in the church, but they saw some things that they were, it was a situation that happened a long time ago, it was told to me, but they recognized things that were um, concerning to them. And this is just an example of what can happen. And so they, they brought it up. They were placed on church discipline because they went and talked, sought counsel with someone else about whether um, what was being done to them was okay. That that's a sort of even control that some, that what people are met with when they try to shine the light in the darkness. Yeah. Very familiar. Um, You know, one of the things that, uh, Wade Mullen talks about in the book is about impression management, and that's kind of a key um, term to understand what he's getting at in his book. And it's it's used to hide what's going on in an organizational relationship. He describes it as the process of creating, influencing, or manipulating an image held by an audience. And it's used to gain or maintain power, and this kind of impression management. This is what you see when in, you'll hear it in people who've come out of abusive church situations. You see it in um, people who've come out of abusive marriages. Um, you see it in organizations that are toxic and abusive. It's all about looking a certain way so that people believe a certain thing about the person or the institution. Yeah. And if somebody speaks up, like uh, the Mars Hill podcast is fresh in my mind. So I'll use that Mm -hmm. as an example. If someone speaks up, the leadership then um, portrays, oh, this person is just rebellious. They might even say something like, well, we don't even know if they're a Christian. I mean, this, that's a sort of things that they do. They have a root of bitterness. Right. They're rebellious. (laughs) They're rebellious. They're not submissive to, to authority. I mean, all of these things, right? And yep. those of you out there who are listening and nodding your head, like, yes, I've heard that. Yes, I've read that. You know, these, it's, again, very similar tactics. So what are some of these tactics that? Wow, the, this is kind of it. His list of tactics is, it just reminds me of that playbook we talk about mm-hmm. all the time. Because if you, if you haven't listened to, um, Maybe I'll link some of our other episodes, especially the couple of abuse stories that we've had, and you'll you'll hear these things in their stories. Um, so keeping secrets, don't tell anybody, you know, and and if you do, it's gossip. Yes. What about untouchable leaders or people? People you can't. That is the biggest one, and boy, have we seen that even. When, you know, you and I have um, talked about some false theology mm-hmm. and we, we are careful in how we do that. We, uh, if you look at stuff that we've talked about, we, we have not made mountains out of molehills. We've uh, chosen what things are important and need to be talked about, but we'll even get criticized for that, for daring to criticize an elder. Um, even though we're very careful and purposeful in how we navigate that, um, this theology is bad. You know, we're not 
but there are people who say that's gossip, that's slander. Um, there's certain teachers, anyone who's on social media has probably seen this. There are certain teachers that if you dare say, hey, I read something in his book and I think this is bad theology, you'll have the, the, the fanboys come out and you're the one that's wrong for daring to bring up a concern. They've done so much good for the gospel. They've been right, so they're safe use, been used by the Lord so much. So many people have come to the, to the Lord through them. All of these excuses about why you cannot address a problem. They're good for the culture war. Especially that one. <laughs> well, and, you know, Rachel and I were talking about earlier today, we're, we're at kind of a, for me, a discouraging time in kind of church, church history. And I'm sure there's other examples where, some of these secondary issues are seen as the most important thing. And then some very important foundational doctrines are kind of downplayed. Well, yeah, they may get that wrong, but, you know, look at all they're doing good in, you know, the fight against this, you know, but yep. there are, and un- there are untouchable um, teachers out there. We all know, you know, I, I'm sure like every like me, you're thinking of somebody, oh yeah, if I ever said anything bad about such and such teacher, I would just um, be attacked. And so we see that on social media, but now imagine this in your own church, if anyone in leadership was doing something questionable and there was a, how dare you, you, they elevate them. They put them on a pedestal almost as if they're sinless. Mm-hmm. And could never make a mistake. So then the next thing that often happens if you do speak up is that there's a circling of the wagons. And there is a lot of protection. And this gets to be especially an issue. You see it with um, um, platforms, people who share platforms and share. Um, they have a- agreements to help each other out. So either they're in, uh, in leadership together in an organization or in a parachurch organization or in, within a denomination um, or maybe even lo- more locally within a presbyterian or a session. You, you have uh, these guys who will protect each other, not because they necessarily think that the person didn't do anything wrong, but because they can't admit that there was a wrong or it'll bring something down. It'll bring down the institution or they're afraid of that, or it'll bring um, you know, a loss of power or prestige or um, access or platforming. There are all of these, these fears that go along with it. And so they begin to circle the wagons and protect each other. Yeah. I think we're seeing some of that going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um. Sadly, yes. <laughs> it's so many things going through my head right now. Mm. One of the other th- other tactics that happens uh, is confusion uh, and deception. And, you know, Mullen says in his book, it's not your fault if you feel confused and overwhelmed at the prospect of untangling the web of abusive and impression management tactics. It is by its nature confusing and overwhelming. Uh, many people who have been through abusive situations uh, of of all of all stripes will talk about the this fog of confusion that that you know they can't quite 
put together everything that's happened and or how to explain it or it's very disjointed it's, it's very very confusing and it's intentional I and mean, you have things like uh, gaslighting going on where you're told repeatedly that you know that thing that you saw or heard or read um, didn't actually happen uh, it was actually something else and that's not it's not that big a deal and we should just move on and you're the one who's crazy for thinking that anything's going on because it's not and you know let's like the, uh, the the joke with the Groucho Marx jokes is, are you gonna who are you gonna believe me or your lying eyes, right? Yeah, like, it's but it's that kind of thing. Like I I told you what what really happened, so you can't trust yourself. And for those of us who have been through these situations, if you if you are going through one of these situations, if you are in the middle of the fog, do not blame yourself. Um, it is not your fault that you're confused. It's not your fault that you have fallen for lies and deception. They are the ones who have done it and they wanted you to be deceived. They want you to be confused. So um, it's not a failure on your part. The The best man- manipulators are really good at it. Extremely good at it. <laughs> and uh, one of the things he talks about is charm and flattery. Mm-hmm. So always be suspicious of excessive praise and flattery and coercive behavior. I've even seen, I actually had to go, um, go do some reading to see if this was a normal thing. And I found something that it can um, sometimes uh, come out in narcissists where Mm. somebody in public would praise this person, but then when they had them privately, just one-on-one, they would criticize them. Mm-hmm. And that was just used as a mani- manipulation tactic. So it was, oh, wow, look at John is just so amazing. We're so glad to have him at this church. He just does so much and the Lord's using him and blah, blah, blah. But then that church leader would get John privately and it was all criticism. Mm-hmm. And that that almost can make you go crazy. Wait, you know, you're saying all these good things about me, but then you're saying all these bad things about me, and it's a tactic to control this person. Mm-hmm. Get get things out of you, like the yep. the charm and flattery to get you to do something that they want, or to to keep you from being upset with them for what they've done. I mean, it's it's so manipulative, um, and that's. One of the next points is that a tactic of manipulative help, which is um, when they make you feel like you're dependent on this organization or this uh, abusive person. Um, so they they use this sense of either they are providing help or they want something from you. And it's, again, it's all about manipula- manipulating both the image and uh, maintaining power. Yeah, if you think about the flattery, um, you know, they somebody may say, "Well, nobody could do this like you can do it. We really need you because you're so great at that." But it's actually a tactic to control you and to make you feel guilty. Well, I guess I gotta do that thing. You'll talk to people sometimes that um, feel like their church has these unrealistic expectations where they have almost mm-hmm. no time for their family, but then they use this kind of flattery and. Um, building them up to basically control them and get them to do what they want. And then another thing, and I've seen this too, if you don't do what they want, you will be punished. There will be some form of punishment that will happen. Um, so 
hidden agendas. <laughs> that's actually a good segue into that. That's that's revealed when you don't do what they want. That there's so you could see this this flattery and think, oh well, they really like me and blah blah blah. But there's this hidden agenda for what they're really trying to do. It's a excuse me. Uh, as Mullen says in the book, that they will accuse you of betraying them, being unappreciative, or taking advantage of their kindness. And you'll hear it this way in particular. Um, they'll say, after everything I've done for you. Yes, yes. How could you blah, blah, blah. And what, they, what they're saying when they say that is, I only did these things for you to get you to do these things for me. Yep. Right. Um, how could you? you can, real way? quick, you can see some parallels when, when we talked about narcissism. Mm. Oh, very much so. Um, another tactic that you get is alliances. Um, you get attempts to control or manipulate through shared interests. Um, often it is like, just like the charm and flattery. This is a rushed vulnerability, which is often used to manipulate kind, kind hearted or friendly giving people. Um, so there, there's this pressure to help. So they act all buddy, buddy. They're really close to you. They become really great friends. They're all involved in your life, but what they're really doing is trying to get something out of you or to control you. Yeah. If you talk to people who've been in abusive churches, and I've heard this as a common theme, they'll say everyone was so nice when we first started attending. Mm -hmm. They did all this stuff. They were offering babysitting for our kids, and they were doing this, and they were doing that. And, And that can feel really good. And let me say, If a church does that, that doesn't necessarily mean they're abusive. It just happens to be a tactic of abusers, of abusers. But that is a common theme that I've heard. You know, I'll ask people, so what attracted you to that church? Everyone was so nice and welcoming and they, you know, treated us like we were family and, you know. I mean, there's a difference between genuine love and kindness that we should expect in a church community and the manipulative behavior that mimics or imitates kindness on a surface level where there's always something else undercurrents going on underneath it. And it can be hard to recognize at first. Again, if you've been in these situations, do not beat yourself up. It was meant to deceive you. Um, And all of us have fallen for abusive situations at some point, most likely Um, either again, relationships, friendships, uh, work environments, organizations, churches, we've all been manipulated at some point in our lives. And it's not, it's not your fault for being kind hearted or wanting to be, to think the best of people. Those are good traits to have. Um, and, you know, the Wade Mullen and other authors that talk about um, churches and Christians talk about how uh, we are, we are often targets for people who are narcissists or who are predators or who are abusive because we are likely to be kind and wa- wanting to think the best and we wanting to be forgiving and loving. And it's, it's very painful when that gets used against us. Hey, I wanted to mention when he talks about rushed vulnerability, because mm-hmm. um, in that same way where you hear this theme of churches quickly embracing, there's... Um, it, 
this kind of rush to, I I don't know how else to say it, but this kind of rush to be best friends right away Mm -hmm. and wanting you to be vulnerable um, instantly. And that that's a form of manipulation to then use those things against you. Um, We are to be wise, you know, um, as we build up trust, we don't necessarily share our whole life story with somebody right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of what Mullen talks about in the book about these tactics, um, it makes it hard for us to trust others. Uh, it, it, especially when, like, like I said, when your kindness is used against you as a weapon and these places that we considered safe, uh, churches, uh, relationships, organizations, whatever, places that should be safe for us become unsafe. Um, And it's very uh, disorienting. It's very, um, again, crazy making because you don't know who you can trust and you don't know um, how to work through the confusing tactics that have been used against you. Yeah. And in these situations, if somebody, Rachel said, crazy making it, if if you're being told you are these all these horrible things, you are the problem, you're being told these things over and over again, it's possible to start believing them. That's, that's how manipulation works, um, manipulating you to believe things that aren't true. Many of us who are um, you know, tenderhearted to begin with or um, willing to be forgiving and, and kind of a gentle, gentle souls, we're easy, it's quick, it's easy for us, and we are quick to want to take the blame. So when people do tell us these things about how it's our fault, and we're all these bad, horrible things, it's very easy to start believing it. I wanted to mention the word charm, because I think some people don't realize this, this was new to me several years ago, is abusers can often be some of the most charming people you will ever meet. Um, And that that's part of the manipulation. Um, I've known wives that were abused and I had no idea their husbands were very, very charming. And very they're a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing. They were one person in front of everyone else and another person behind closed doors. That's how it works. And that's how they mm. hide. So that's how they hide, right? Because they don't treat yep. everybody the same way. Uh, they don't abuse everybody. So then it becomes even harder for you, you to convince people that it's happening. Um, and until they too end up on the, the bad side of things and they go, oh, you were right. And yes, this is really what's happening. Oh, in the Mark Driscoll thing. I mean, mm-hmm. this just this is something that blew me away at his current church. And these were mm-hmm. interviews with his, his previous head of security and then someone else that worked on security. He has this zero to 10 scale on how trustworthy someone is. But ultimately, I think that scale is how loyal they are to me, mm-hmm. you know? And wow. I think that abuse, if you see church abuse situations, it's never not usually spelled out like that. But there is kind of the, these levels of how loyal different people are to the leader, and then they're treated accordingly. Yeah, I don't remember which... There's one of the books of the many that we've read. They talk about the inner circle um, and how 
how churches use that inner circle. It may be in Wade's book. I'm, uh, there's a lot that we didn't, we're not covering today in this. Um, and I've read several recently on these topics, but that, that use of the, the, the inner circle of people who are the, the most trustworthy, you know, the ones that they are fed the charm and the flattery to keep them loyal. And, you know, so there's, so then they're willing to back up and support the abuser as well as, um, defend them and protect their secrets all for this, this hit and rush of, of, um, importance and, um, of intimacy and you know, that, that being close to the, the, these people who are in power or taking, you know, it, it's, it's a heady thing. Like it, it's hard to, to break out of when you've been under a charm offensive like that. And then they, they, these inner circle this then in the churches then become, or organizations then become the ones who also help maintain the control and power and abusive relationships over everyone else. Yeah. So let's talk about dismantling tactics. Um, maybe you can start on what are dismantling tactics? These are ways in which abusers tear us down and destroy our, our identity and take away our agency. Uh, these things include intimidation, humiliation, violence, bullying, teasing. It's any way in which um, it demeans us and makes us um, lesser. So we see ourselves as lesser and we lose the ability to make decisions for ourselves. That's what it's talking about with agency. Um, Mullen says, everything is a little twisted, turned around to the point where we're not sure what reality is anymore. By getting us to distrust our own minds, the abuser bends trust away from what is trustworthy and towards the abuser. So all of these purposes are about breaking us down and making us loyal to um, the abuser. Yeah, and you know what? This is all about control. It's it's so it's so interesting um, going through this because I, I know that these are there's a common playbook, but it's almost like Mark Driscoll read this book and decided to implement all the abusive behaviors based on this podcast. Uh, and you know, from big name guys to churches you've never heard of, these things happen. Yes, then- exactly. And it's sadly, um, sadly common. I, I wish it weren't so common. But you, from the stories that we hear from people around the country, from different backgrounds, different denominations, it's happening all over the place. And you know, no church tradition is safe from these tactics being used in a church. It's all over the place. Yeah. So signs of, of an abusive relationship, and the, these are, um, I think, extremely helpful. And if you've ever been in a situation, you're going to recognize these. But always in trouble for not meeting expectations. And these expectations might have been communicated to you, or they may not have been. So you may be in trouble for something you didn't even know you were going to be in trouble for, but there was some unspoken expectation of what this person expected you to do and you didn't do it. And there's this sort of 
almost like you'll be punished now. You're you're in trouble because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And this is on you, you know, that sort of thing where you, to the point you're just always walking on eggshells around that person because you never know when you're going to fail to meet the expectation. Constantly moving the goalposts, right? Like you never know. Yes. You never know what's going to set them off. Often you may have an idea of what could, but many times it comes out of nowhere and you're like, well, why that? Right. Because you've, you've done something they didn't want, but did you know about it? Maybe, maybe they, maybe you didn't. They'll tell you that, that you did, that you should have known. Um, again, it's part of the, the gaslighting crazy making like, oh yes, you know, I told you before that you're not supposed to do this sex or why, or I needed you to do this, that, the other. Um, and, you know, you'll bend over backwards trying to make it right. And you'll continue to walk on eggshells around them. Um, another sign of abusive relationship has to do with the anxiety that you feel over the unpredictable nature of the relationship where you get to the point of a constant fear of punishment or harsh words or harsh treatment over, um, again, either known or unknown uh, expectations being not met. And a fear of retaliation if you speak up or try to get out of the relationship. Yeah, the, that kind of punishment, if you speak up, you know, there there will be some punishment. And in, I think in churches, it's sometimes manipulated. You'll, you'll hear stories that, you know, anyone criticizing the leadership, they're being used by Satan to tear down God's work. And anyone supporting it, they're the, they're the good guys. There's people that live under these circumstances for years because of the amount of gaslighting and manipulation and control that's happening. And they'll not realize, they'll think they are the problem. If they were just, just like, you know, in um, domestic abuse situations, you know, if only they were to do better, then they won't be anxious or in trouble all the time. And, you know, it goes back to uh, one of the things that we've talked about in some of the other episodes um, with churches that convince the people who who are members there that their church, their denomination, their um, organization is the only one that gets it right. And so there's nowhere else for you to go. And if you go anywhere else, then you are, they're telling you that you were literally outside the faith, right? That's very common. You know, there's, there's only us that's right. And everybody else is, and again, I'm not, we're not talking about, there are important doctrinal differences between things. And there are things that are right. There are things that are wrong, but when you're in a church that is to the point that then they say that no one else gets it right on anything else. We're the only place that you can find truth. Uh, it tends to be a very controlling environment. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and even if they're telling you to, um, maybe you're in an abusive situation and your parents are like, something doesn't seem right with that. And they'll be like, oh, you need to get your parents out of your life. They are toxic if they're questioning our church. And mm. um, they'll really isolate you. You should only be friends with people in the church. You know, you can talk to your neighbors and stuff, but your only real friends should be people in the church and things like that. I mean, really just extreme isolation. So I don't want anybody to say to you, oh, yeah, that thing going on at your church isn't normal. When I hear about this from a handful of different uh, churches, and I'm not 
the name, but uh, where people are leaving and moving to be there, right? Um, and uh, you know, many of us have have moved closer to a good church, and uh, you know, I'm not talking about that, but people who uproot their lives and break off from their families and other people around them in order to go be part of you know this church here and in, in the the work that they're doing in the culture wars or in you know. It, they're the only ones who, again, who are right, and we need to go be with them. And it's, it is very isolating. Right. You can't find a church as biblical as that one over, you know, in this spot in the United States. So you need to uproot your lives and quit your job and move your family. Mm-hmm. It, there's almost a true church mentality without that being spelled out. We're the ones doing things right over here. Well, sometimes it is pretty, is spelled out. Um, that, this is true. Where, where they tell you that, you know, if you leave, then you, you have left the faith, that you've, you're, they, you're, you should question your salvation. Uh, or they'll tell you flat out you can't be saved because you've left. And, you know, that's you know, going back to the membership covenants, the churches that give you, you know, the only three ways you can leave are if you move. And then, and you get have an approved move. Have an approved move, like if you die or you're excommunicated. Yep. And you know that's. I'm not exaggerating that there are churches that's no. exactly the way it says. I know. Their, I know of a church. <laughs> what if you're in a situation and you're thinking something isn't right, but I just don't know. Maybe I'm in an abusive situation. Maybe I'm not. Um, we're going to just talk about a few things to. Um, talk about work through. If you can't, if you can't find the words to describe it, um, there there are actually Christians out there. I mean, intuition isn't the I, sometimes misused, but sometimes um, because you pay attention to details and um, you notice things and things like that, you you can feel that something isn't quite right, even if you can't put your finger on it. You might not be able to describe it, but you just know something isn't right. If you're feeling like something isn't right, you know, that might be time to, you know, talk to somebody. Hey, I have this situation and I feel like something isn't right, but maybe I'm wrong, you know. You know, and again, it is very confusing to have your world dismantled. It's very confusing to experience trauma. So, you know, don't be hard on yourself if you are confused or you're having trouble putting words to it. Um. I like this. There's a list of questions that um, Mullen suggests in his book to, to take an inventory of your experiences. Ask, where have I experienced lies? What has caused hurt? What has made me angry? When have I felt humiliated? Where do I feel unnecessary limitations, perhaps unspoken expectations constricting me? Do I feel like I can stand up for myself? Why not? What do I think might happen if I begin to assert myself? And I really liked how he used these questions because it is very insightful in a way to begin to unravel what the confusion in your mind and begin to put the pieces together and say, you know, specifically, these are things that have happened or these are things that are concerning me. Yeah, get out a notebook and, you know, kind of write those down and and write things out. You know, if that if you're somebody that... Um, thinks through things well by writing them. You know, that that can be helpful. So one of the things that Mon talks about in the book that I thought was very helpful was how 
how abuse can make you feel. And I think it's important to, to consider these things because it'll give you some words to put, to put together what's going on if you're in an abusive situation. So it can make you feel confused. Again, we've talked about this. You don't know who or what to trust. You're not sure if you can trust your own feelings and perceptions and thoughts. Um, it can make you feel alone. And again, that's intentional. They, isolation was a, a one of the tactics that's used. And also making you dependent or feel dependent on the abusive person or organization. And you can feel alone. If you've been isolated and maybe you're in a church and this church is everything, you may not even know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, afraid to speak up, right? Because you don't think you'll be believed or you've been told that that's, that would be disloyal or gossip. Uh, you, you feel you're afraid of the shame or blame of speaking up. And again, the, the fear of retaliation. And, and those are real things to be afraid of. It's when I'm not making light at all. These are very hard things to get through and to work through. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that, Rachel, because um, sometimes it may not be safe to speak up. Mm -hmm. Um, Find somebody that can help you navigate going forward. And the intimidation and manipulation Uh, continues. There's this little list. How can you betray me like this? Don't you know how much stress I'm under? Giving the silent treatment. I I talked earlier about almost like punishments like Mm -hmm. um, that are used to manipulate you and get you to obey. That's at least how I say it. Um, Don't you see how much damage it'll do if you speak up? And you maybe have already seen the damage that happens when someone else spoke up and you're scared of that, understandably. Mm -hmm. I like what he says there uh, in the book. He says, but the truth is abusers should bear the responsibility for the damage brought about by the exposure of their actions. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And then another thing that you'll hear, it's not fair. People were just out to get me. And perhaps one of the scariest tactics, intimidation tactics, uh, are threats of suicide if you leave or tell. Um, And, you know, those those do happen, that those threats are made. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that he says in the book is, the responsibility for any suffering they experience is a result of their own behavior and theirs alone. It's not your fault. The, the if there are consequences for their actions. Man, I, I've, I've heard so many of these things before. So I'm kind of speechless that he nailed well, it so well. He did, and it's so hard. Um, you know, if you read this book, if you have been through um, abusive or you're in the middle of an abusive situation, it may be hard to read this book. It may be something that you need to work through with, uh, we'll talk this a little bit in about getting help, but with a trauma-informed counselor, um, or certainly with friends or people who can help you through uh, the situations and the, the concerns that you have. Um, so when, um, whether this person is confronted or you, um, you know, say something publicly, there are common defenses too. Mm-hmm. Um, denials, justifications, excuses, and comparisons. Maybe you can talk about those, Rachel. 
yeah, he he goes into a lot of detail on these, and, and you know, I didn't cover all this here. These are things that I think. Go ahead and read the book. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's strongly enough. It's so good. Um, but the, you know, when you begin to speak up, there will be denials. They you know that didn't happen, right? There'll be justifications, right? And this is where I th- if you've heard the the narcissist prayer, right? Well, that didn't happen, and if it did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was, it's not that big a deal. And if it is, it's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, you deserved it. Right. And that's, that goes through denial, justification, excuses, and comparison, right? That's the tactics again and again. Yeah. And, and it's easy sometimes for these people to manipulate you into believing that, oh, if I just hadn't have done that. So, Somebody just, um, before I get to the next section, somebody just wrote something um, in the Facebook group and actually fits into, um, if I can find it. Um, I had posted the Mark Driscoll thing in the the, um, Facebook group and I, it's good to point this out. Somebody said, I listened to the most recent episode of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill and what played next was the guilt and shame episode of Theology Gals you did recently. What a truly wonderful pairing. And it's it's a good reminder that episode could we talk about some false guilt and shame. And I think that is used um, where victims of abuse will feel shame that and they they shouldn't. They sh- they feel guilt and shame. Yeah, that's a good point. And you um, pointed to our episode on forgiveness and reconciliation also. If that's another thing that we're, you're going to see um, in in response will be apologies, right? And, or in many cases, they are skillfully crafted non-apologies. Uh, I love this quote in the book. He says, if you have to analyze whether an apology is authentic, it probably isn't. Uh, and yeah. I, I can't underline that enough. <laughs> You have to analyze it. It probably isn't. And he uses something called SCORE that you can use as an acronym to determine whether or not um, an apology really is an apology. And so it's surrender, so they're not defensive. um, So it means they actually admit to what they've done. Uh, Confession, ownership, recognition, and empathy. Uh, And again, Empathy is a Christian virtue. It is not a sin. We should also see that episode where we talk about it. Um, these are things that are important in any any true apology, that someone owns what they've done, they, they confess it, they recognize the damage of what they've done, and they have empathy for the person that they've hurt. So, what do you do if you're in a situation like this? Because I know, I know so much it can feel helpless. And you can feel stuck and not know what to do, and you're scared. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, tell someone, find somebody that's a safe person to talk to. A trauma-informed counselor is a good idea. If anything are, that's happened it is criminal, or you are concerned that there is criminal behavior, you should go to the authorities, and that should be your first stop. Right? That's is. After, of course, getting safe, uh, being safe. It can be very dangerous to report uh, abuse. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that anyone do something in a way that would cause them harm. What I am saying is get somewhere safe and 
tell the authorities. A trauma-informed counselor can help you navigate that. Yes. Because sometimes you need somebody to hold your hand and, and help Absolutely. you because um, it's easy to question yourself. You know, also, I've, I've seen this before. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. So having somebody who understands trauma um, on your side is helpful. And add to that also, if you if there is something that's happened um, that you suspect is criminal abuse, um, and you need to go to the authorities. It is not up to the church to tell you whether or not to go to the authorities. No one else gets to decide that the authorities are the ones who decide whether or not it's a crime, and they're the ones that you need to talk to. Um, it, this is not something, again, as we've talked other places, that should be handled in-house with the church. These are things that need to be dealt with appropriately. Um, Absolutely. So, along those lines, if you are in an abusive situation, make plans for your safety uh, to get to safety um, and get the help that you need. One of the things he talks about, um, and I'm going to go put these out in in another order, but he talks about being patient. It takes time to rebuild rebuild after trauma. Um, And he has a lot of good advice in the book. Again, highly recommend you read it. One of the things he suggests is something called reframing. And what he says is, it can be helpful to ask yourself, what does the abuser or abusive organization want me to do whenever you begin to feel manipulated? So once you've identified that, and it may not always be clear, then the next question is, what would be the opposite action? If the answer to that question is clear and the action is feasible and ethical, then one way you can resist an abuser's manipulation is to do the opposite of what they're telling you to do. And this goes along with, especially like with, you know, if, if you're going to come forward about abuse and it's the right thing to do to tell, talk about the abuse, um, and you know that they don't want you to talk about the abuse and they're trying to manipulate you into not talking about the abuse, then reframing it would be realizing that they're manipulating you into not talking and talking about it in order to resist what they're doing. Uh, as an example. You know, I, I wanted to say real quick that um, I know we talked about a lot about this happening in the church, but these same patterns you can find in almost any kind of abuse. It could be a family member. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend where you see some of these same um, tactics. Mm-hmm. Or a business organization works, work, yep. volunteer organizations. There's any number of places where you can experience abuse and abusive behaviors. So the thing that, you know, I wanted to close with our discussion today uh, that he talks about is in the book, besides encouraging you all to go read the book, is a question that he ends with. And says, so the question must be asked of each of us, in what ways am I perpetuating an abusive culture through my silence or tacit endorsement, tacit endorsement of those who are in the wrong? And that's a very challenging question. I think it's one that we should all be willing to um to, to consider and to, uh, and to think about how we can address situations around us. I think that's a, a great place to end. I'm going to link um, some of the things that we talked about in the episode notes, including um, the guilt and shame episode and the repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation episode, because I think there's some helpful things, because we talk about those things in an appropriate way, but also... Mm-hmm. Um, 
how some of those things can be inappropriately used. So it fits in with this this discussion. Also link the two different um, podcasts that I mentioned, because I, I think they're really helpful. They were helpful for me to hear some of these examples. And um, you may be somebody who's never really seen um, a lot of instances in the church or things like that. But I think I think it would be helpful even in recognizing uh, some future red flags. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you so much for joining us. I'll link all that in the episode notes and we'll see you next week. <laughs>